Hey guys. So as I said, my name is Tom and I am the lead pastor here at Crossroads and um, we are preaching through the book of Psalms doing our, what we're calling the greatest hits from the book of Psalms. So we're taking a few isolated uh, chapters from that book and really concentrating on them. Uh, this slide was up because we, um, in, in this message in particular, there's gonna be a couple resources that uh, I'm gonna ask you to refer back to later on in the week. So if you can go ahead and, and grab those, that would be great. Also allows you to, to follow, um, follow along while, um, while I'm teaching, even, even look a ahead a little bit. Um, so the, our big idea for this whole series is that in humility, trust, and worship, we come to know God is worthy in all circumstances. And um, when, I, when I wrote that, uh, however long, six weeks ago, whenever I wrote that, I didn't realize the, the depth of what all, um, all circumstances would actually, would actually mean and the circumstances in which we find ourselves. And different people handle uh, different circumstances in different ways. Some of uh, the best ways that we've found or I've experienced is kind of the laughter is best medicine. So I just wanted to share with you, I asked uh, some of the team to uh, share some of the stuff that they've found online or some of the things that they've experienced it just kind of made them laugh a little bit. So um, I don't even really know how to explain this first one here, but this is, uh, that is a hazmat suited T-Rex that Ben and Brittany found grocery shopping. Um, that is our friend Stacy Smith out trying to make people smile and grocery shop and maintain social distance at the, at the same time. Um, for all you fans out there of, of dad jokes, what kind of jokes does the CDC recommend right now? Inside jokes, right? <clears throat> Last year at this time, you were large and in charge if you had a pair of iPods. Now you're cool if you have hand sanitizer. This next one makes me laugh. I don't think it's necessarily very theologically correct, but uh, funny nonetheless. Um, the obligatory Australian reference here and this next one um if you get this you get it if you don't ask somebody under the age of 30 and they'll explain it to you could be one of my favorites right here to prevent coronavirus stay home avoid physical contact and don't go into large crowds introverts i've been preparing for this my entire life my wife is in the background pumping her fist um and my, uh, my personal favorite, having to work from home a few weeks, isolated with the family. Heck, what's the worst thing that could happen? And I, I think that's my favorite because uh, as a kid, that, um, that movie terrified me. And now that, uh, that meme, is, uh, it strikes as, as close, to, close to home. And we're all going to, we are, we've already had to make changes. Uh, transition. We've gone from working out of the house to working in the house. Our our space is being invaded. Our routines are being disrupted. Everything is kind of thrown uh, thrown out of kilter. But at the same time, what doesn't change is our foundation. Our foundation is Jesus. What doesn't change is our call to love God and to and to love others. None of that. None of that changes. Difficulty. Isolation loneliness, um, close quarters, discovering the annoying habits of the people that we're forced to be in those close quarters with. None of that um, is an indication that God has fallen asleep or that his character has changed, nor is it uh, a license for us to stop 
loving others. As a matter of fact, just the opposite is true. These difficult circumstances are often the catalyst that God uses for us to experience him in new and deeper um, and more, uh, more intimate, more intimate ways. And that brings us to our big idea for this morning. The more we experience the goodness of God, the more God reveals himself to others through their experience of us. The more we experience the goodness of God ourselves, the more God reveals himself to others through their experience of us. And we're going to unpack that statement a little bit. Like I said, we're going to continue on uh, in the book of Psalms. We're looking at Psalm 34 this morning, written by King David, uh, king, musician, poet, warrior, had all kinds of crazy experiences from the middle of which he called out to God and asked for God's help and God God responded. So this is uh, Psalm 34. We're going to read verses um, 1 through 14. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you, holy, you his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. So um, I'm going to keep reminding us that the, the Psalms are songs and they're poems. And as such, we find their, their meaning in uh, imagery and structure, even, even in the grammar. So we're going to dive into this uh, a little bit and we're going to look at the structure of this particular psalm. We look at verses one through three, and it, we see that God is worthy to be praised. David finds himself in another jam. He's in a really bad situation. He calls out to God, and God answers him in the midst of that trouble. Verses four through seven, the poor can trust God. There's kind of two separate little subpoints in here that I want to make. The first is that the poor doesn't necessarily refer to those who are... Um, financially poor. It, it's a reference to those who have completely run out of options. There's nothing that they can do in their own strength to remedy their current situation. That speaks to where we are right now in the, the practical realm of life. But um, again, as I've been reminding us, in, in each and every Psalm, there's like a, there's a, a Jesus moment. And this, this is the Jesus moment. The poor can trust God we, in our relationship to God on our own, are poor. There's nothing that we can do. We have a broken relationship with the God of the universe because we have chosen other things over that relationship. We've, we've said, God, we know better than you. And that puts us, that puts a dividing wall 
between us and God, that there's nothing that we can do about on our own. But thankfully, in God's great mercy, he sent Jesus to walk this earth, to live a perfect life, to die an innocent death, and then to rise again. And because Jesus did something, right? We're in a situation which we can't do anything about. Jesus did something. That relationship can be restored. The poor can trust in God, even in the midst of that most dire situation that any of us will ever face, that broken relationship with God, we can trust God to remedy that. And if you've never, um, if you've never kind of taken that step and said, I'm tired, I, I can't do this on my own anymore. God, I just, I need your help. That's all you have to do. You just call out to God like that, just like David did. God, I need your help. I can't do this on my own. And he will answer you. He will hear that cry and he will answer you. And David encourages us, even in verses four through seven, if you look at the structure of those verses, right? Verses four and six are written in the first person. Verses five and seven are written in the third person or to the third person. And what that's doing is saying, God, David is saying in verses four and six, God came through for me. And then verses five and seven, he'll do it for you. You have the evidence. God did it for me. He'll do it for you. That's the structure speaking to us, giving meaning to the Psalms. And the, where we're going to spend the rest of our time is the instructions from the psalmist. These, um, these seven verses are a little psalm within a psalm or a, or a set of Proverbs. So I'm going to do the best I can to break them down for you. And we're going to point out things like um, like repetition and structure and grammar again. So here we go. This is um, Psalm 34, and we're going to get this up full screen. And the first thing I want you to notice, there's seven verses up here. And as we look, the very center verse, it's, Come, children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. The wisdom teachers, went at the time that this was written, a couple thousand years ago, they would often put their thesis statement in the middle, in the exact middle of what they were writing. So in the middle of these seven verses, come my children, listen to me, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Teacher saying, get your notebooks, write this down, this is gonna be important. The next thing we see is this use of repetition, this idea of good, the Lord is good. Those who fear the Lord lack no good thing. If you want to find good days, this is how you do it. Turn from evil and do good. As we look at this idea, this repetition, this idea of good, God is the source of goodness. And as we pursue him, we have access to that source in ever increasing measure. The next piece of repetition that we see is a repetition of imperatives. Imperatives are uh, commands, right? The psalmist is telling us to do something. The first one says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste means that being with God is, God is not an abstract idea or philosophy. God is a person with whom we can have a dynamic relationship. It's an experience. Taste and see that the Lord is good. The next one, fear. Fear the Lord, you holy, you his holy people. For those who fear him lack nothing. This idea of fear in the Psalms means that we submit to God and that we obey. We trust him and we do things his way. We stop trying to do things our way like we know better than God. We do things, we do things his way. Now, it's a little bit hard to see there, but the word come in that first, uh, the first word of that highlighted pink sentence, that's another imperative. 
God is the source of all goodness. He's the, the initiator of all goodness. And if we continue to come to him, we will never be disappointed. There's not a day that we will come to God and his goodness will ever have run out. It won't ever have been exhausted. We can continually learn more of his goodness, more of his goodness, more of his goodness. Jumping down, keep your tongue from evil. There are practical things that we shouldn't do or we could stop doing that open more faucets of God's good goodness, that we can experience more of his goodness if we will stop doing certain things or refrain from doing certain things. And then turn and seek are the other side of that coin. There are practical things that we can continue doing or that we can start doing that, again, give us more access to the goodness of God. And the last piece of these seven verses that I want to uh, that I want to point out is this peace. If we can do our best to pursue those imperatives, to follow God's command, right? Feel, fear the Lord, submit and obey. Peace is the result. Peace with God and peace with others. Man, that's just, that's seven verses within the 22 verses of, of Psalm 34. And there's so much in there. And so much of the, of the New Testament is based on, um, obviously what the New Testament authors experienced. They had one-to-one um, -one relationships with Jesus, what they experienced with Jesus. But also, so much of what we have in the New Testament comes out of the pages of the Psalms. This Psalm, Psalm 34, uh, Peter quotes it specifically in his letter. Paul tells the churches on a number of different occasions, use the Psalms to teach each other. And he alludes to it over and over and over again in, in his writings. And I want to share with you a piece of scripture from Romans uh, chapter 12. And in this scripture, we see these ideas of the goodness of God coming to us as we seek to experience and flowing through us to other people. So this is Romans uh, chapter 12. And we're going to read these verses. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Serving the Lord, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So I think um, kind of if we were to summarize that passage, it might be something like, like this. Uh, there is an active, an active and... Um, growing concern for others, a genuine active concern for others that is founded on who God is, who we have experienced God. And that concern meets the needs of the other, the unique needs of the other as they need to be met, whether that's somebody we like or somebody we don't like. 
And this, this is love and action. And love and action leads to peace. So at, at Crossroads, um, we say our mission, our mission is to love God and to love others. And I'm going to take that love God, love others lens, and I'm going to apply it to these verses. And we're going to see the wisdom of the Psalms coming into the New Testament and to us here today as we look at these the idea of God's goodness flowing through us and to others. We're going to look at look at it through our ability to love God and love others. And we're going to start um, with the ability to love others. And I'm going to approach this from the perspective of, of asking you to stop and think. We are in unprecedented times, uncharted waters, unfamiliar territory, and everybody is going to react differently and things are going to be hard on everyone. So stop and think. And, you know, I don't know about you guys, but a lot of times when I'm at church and I'm listening to a message, I'm thinking about um, people outside of my home, outside of my family, outside of my friends, things that that's where that could apply. But, folks, we are um, being brought together with our family and with those with whom we live. Um, for those of us who live by ourselves, we have to look at this from a, a different perspective, but everything everything is changing and we're, we're in close quarters and we're feeling um, way more isolated than ever before. So it's, it's hugely important that we stop and think, right? There are people who we are sharing space, space with who are, um, yes, uh, you know, fortunately, um the idea of people succumbing and and dying as a result of corona uh, is out there um but within our community we haven't experienced that firsthand yet but there are other losses that are happening right students are losing their sense of rhythm and routine um they're losing spring sports proms are being postponed graduations are being moved uh, outside of that weddings are being postponed there's um, there are major life events that people are are missing out on or wondering if they're going to happen or, or when they're going to happen. And that could put them on edge. That could make them a little more difficult to get along with than than usual. Um, there are you are quite possibly living under somebody's roof. Sorry, I keep shaking the table. I'll stop doing that. I'm getting all worked up. Um, there are people you're living under somebody's roof, whether it's your landlord or your mom or your dad or somebody else. And they might be worried about being able to put food on the table and keep that roof over your head because the financial situation is so is so uncertain. And that might make them a little more edgy than than usual. So stop and think about that in your interactions with them. I would also encourage you to stop and think um, before you say or do anything on social media. Um, more than any other time, it's important that we not be judgy jerks, right? Hold off on posting that meme about how other people are behaving or how other people are reacting to this situation. Just push pause on that and hold off on it and stop and think maybe instead of, of posting it, stop and pray for those people in, in, that, in that situation. And kind of the last thing I would encourage you to stop and think about as we're thinking about loving others in this new and uncharted environment that we're in is uh, just because someone lived by themselves prior to the idea of staying in place or 
social distancing or whatever you want to call it, um, it doesn't make it any easier for them. They're, it could be even more difficult. They might even feel more, more isolated. So as we think about others, let's, let's keep those folks in mind as, as well. Um, basically, we could look at it from just this one perspective, Philippians chapter 2, verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. That kind of sums up that whole, that whole thing right there. And the, the last kind of section or point I want to I wanna make for us is I feel like um, God is providing us as individuals, uh, as a community, as a species of the world with this giant aha moment. Sometimes I call them Kairos moments. And he's trying to get our attention and he's trying to get us to change, to change course, to change the direction that we're on. And for me, that's going to mean one thing. For Gail, that's going to mean another thing. It, it's going to be it's going to be different for us. But it it's important that we acknowledge this moment that we're in. Right, a, a Kairos moment is like this breakthrough. God breaks through our routine, and something different happens. Right, this is different. This is no doubt different. And we have an opportunity to to do something new, to try something new. Um, Ephesians tells us to make the most of, of every opportunity. And I'm gonna um, I'm gonna close um, with a little bit of uh, try to encourage some some interactions. But the way the um, the ancients did this, the way they went about trying to uh, increase their access to the goodness of God and turn that into a flow to others, so others could experience the goodness of God through them, they developed something called a rule of life, right? And it's not not a rule like no feet on the table; it's a rule like a, a framework or a structure. I put up a picture. The word literally means trellis. Right? So these are this is a plant of some kind that is using the framework that it's on to grow and to develop into a mature, healthy, living, thriving plant. And a rule of life is something that we can implement that will help us love God and love others um, more effectively. So I'm going to put up a list of 12 things now. And I, the idea is not that you would go out and try to conquer all 12 of these things. The idea is that um, maybe one of uh, maybe one maybe you're already doing one of these and it just resonates with you. Go ahead and put that in the comments and let us know that um, that this is something God has already spoken to and you're already working on it. Or maybe that list is going to go up there and it's going to just trigger something right away. Something is going to click. Say, oh man, yeah, that's 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 for me. I gotta I want to engage in that in that right now. And like I said, it's 12 things. I'm not, don't panic. I'm not going to talk through all 12 of them. Um, but I do, I'm going to kind of point out some of the ones that I'm engaging with and some of the ones that have been helpful to me. And hopefully you guys will participate in the, in the sidebar and, and we can get going. Um, so possible components to a rule of life. There are some things up there that I think we would all consider, um, you know, pretty typical, not, you know, not that surprising. Engaging with scripture. And this could be different depending on where you're at in your walk of faith. Um, if you're just starting out, grab a Bible app, grab version or Bible Gateway, and they will send you a verse of the day. And you read that one verse, and you just maybe a couple of times a day, and you just meditate on that verse throughout the day. Or maybe you're a little bit further on the road of faith, and you you want to read the Bible in a year. That's, a, that's like three chapters a day. 
Um, but that's a, a good way to engage the Bible also. So for me personally, um, scripture, especially over the last couple of years, has just become hugely important. And that time that I have first thing in the morning, um, that is the, it's the first thing I do. Uh, I, even before I have coffee, um, the coffee maker's going in the background, but I'll be, I'll be reading my devotion for that morning um, to get started on the, on the right foot. Uh, one thing that I've implemented recently in the last couple of years is this idea of Sabbath or rest and just setting aside a chunk of time during the week to rest intentionally in and, um, and with God. And that, you know, historically, that's a 24 hour period of time. Um, it could be less, it could be more, depending on your season of life. Um, ones that I want to incorporate, but uh, I'm, you know, I look at number 10, emotional health. Uh, I'm a little bit more hesitant to engage in that one just because I know it's hard work. Um, as you think about trying to leave behind um, your, you know, some of the uh, baggage of your family of origin and uh, the work that that might take or wrestling through a, a loss. That's, that's hard work, but it's an important component of how we love God and love others. And then uh, this idea of daily office, um, it's just a, a fancy way of, of saying, getting to spend time with, uh, with God a couple of times a day. So I've tried to, uh, not only spend my initial time in the morning with God, but block out maybe a time at noon and at like four or five o'clock in the afternoon. And I'll be honest with you folks, that one's been more of a struggle for me. Um, the day gets going, things kind of add add up. Um, and I look up and, it, you know, I already missed the noon one. It's like 2.30 and thinking about, but so if you, you guys can pray for me, um, that, that, um, that I would be able to engage in that more. Uh, and please, so you guys think about this. Um, if you, you know, the, the Kairos moment, the aha moment could be for us as a community. Maybe there's an aspect of this stuff. And one of the reasons why I asked you guys to share, maybe there's an aspect that is common. That's like a theme for us. You know, maybe we need to, as a, as a community, we need to become better prayers. Maybe we need to, as a community, work on our emotional health. Um, so if you're, if you don't feel comfortable posting in the comments, that's fine. I totally get it. Um, but maybe reach out to your community group leader or me or one of the elders and just let them know what uh, what jumped out to you. Simplicity has hit our household. <laughs> and I'm not sure if that was a, a, a forced simplicity or if that is something that um, is coming uh, as, a, as a choice. But either way, um, simplicity is one of those things that, you know, God God calls us to. Amanda, daily office has been so helpful in, in being intentional. Yeah, man, when we um, when we take that opportunity, you know, Bible says when we draw near to God, he draws near to us. And I'm with you. It's hard to rest, right? But one of the things we need to remind ourselves of is that when we take that opportunity to rest, we're saying to God, I know you got this. You're in control and and I trust you. That's just, it's a great way to, um, to do that. Same thing, Gary's writing about about Sabbath, that idea of, of participating in Sabbath, that's a great way to say to God, God, you are who you say you are, and I don't have to run the world for this 24 hours. I can trust you. I can trust you to do it. You guys, these are great comments. Thank you. Thank you so much. Silence and solitude, man. What a, um, 
I don't know, I get um, what I sometimes call drunk monkey brain. Like I try to sit down and, and be still and be silent before the Lord. And uh, my thoughts just race and race and race. So I, but you know what, what's really cool is the Holy Spirit, even in that, when he draws you back, right? That's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. When you recognize that your thoughts went racing off, that's God speaking to you saying, reel it back in, reel it back in. Guys, thanks so much for the comments. Feel free to have them, uh, to have them keep going. But I'm just gonna, I'm gonna wrap up um, this time of teaching and, and get ready to kick it back over to Ben and Brittany for one more song. I just wanted to, to leave you with this, kind of wrap things up. Psalm 34, God is good. He's infinitely good. He's eternally good. And he can be trusted in, in all circumstances. There are practical things that we can stop doing. There are practical things that we can start doing to increase our experience of, of God's goodness. And as we, um, as we in ever-increasing amounts experience that goodness of God, we better reflect him to others and we share that goodness. We're better able to not only love God, but to love others. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, we thank you. Just like Christ said, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for uh, David and all the Psalms that he, he gives us. God, we thank you that you are you are infinitely and eternally good. We thank you that we can turn to you in any and all circumstances. 